You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. Well, let's pray before we get into God's Word. God, it's a lot to cover, and I'm sure people glazed over in the space of all those community life slides. Um, but I'm, I guess I should say I'm thankful for the life and the vitality of this dear uh, church. I'm thankful for their willingness to pray for me and Alita as we took a break, a needed break. And um, I'm thankful that you answered their prayers. Uh, we, we had a good time of renewal. And I, I'm just so thankful for this church. I'm, I'm genuinely happy to come back. Um, and I'm excited about where your spirit is taking us over the next nine months. We're going to be spending nine months looking at Jesus from different angles. Um, I think we need to. I know I need to. And so we just ask that your spirit would just deepen and enrich the life and the vitality of Faith Community Church. I cannot make that happen. Only your Holy Spirit can. And I just want to invite your spirit to do exactly that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, with that, let's read, starting in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Here's scripture. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew, the greatest disciple of all. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus then went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is the word of God. You know, the last fun thing that Alita and I got to do on our um, five-week kind of mini sabbatical was we got to go to Disneyland with our friends uh, Mo and Tracy. And uh, we've known them for over 30 years. And we just, we just went because we just were like, here's what we want to do. We just want to go. No kids. Never had that experience at Disneyland before. Like we're a bunch of young couples again and just have a good time. And so we did. And as we were walking into the park the first night, I think we're going to go to, is it called Disney Walk or something like that? There's a street that they've got so you can buy more Disney swag. And and we were walking through, and as we did, right there on the street, right on the, the very edge of the public space, there are a whole bunch of people wearing, I don't know what else I would call them, they were wearing these like Jesus logo, logoized t-shirts with bullhorns screaming at everybody walking into the park. Now, they screamed a lot of things, but the things that stood out to me as I heard them screaming in their bullhorns were, you are an abomination, and God abhors you. 
Those are the two things that stood out to me as I was listening to them. I'm a pastor, but I will admit to you, what I wanted to do in that moment was to violently rush over and take the bullhorn out of their hand, smash it to the ground, and pull them aside and give them some tough love about, let's have a talk about what it would look like to be a little more Jesus-like in the form of life that you're living, and a little more Jesus-like in the way you're talking about Jesus. And then somehow turn around, turning around and saying, you're an abomination and God abhors you. Hey, want to follow Jesus? Nobody's going to say yes to that. As much as I really wanted to do that, I did not do that. But as I was walking away from the sounds of the bullhorns, the Holy Spirit did remind me of my own need to deepen a healthier and more Jesus-like form of life in me. I was like, dang it, Holy Spirit, why are you convicting me? Talk to them. <laughs> and my memory quickly tra- tracked back where I, was, where I was personally in the present moment of my life with my own emotions and my own wild reactions. And I could see all the ways that the hardships and the difficulties of the last two years of life, they are not things that made me. Nothing makes me behave a certain way. I'm the one who's choosing to do so. They didn't make me fearful. They didn't make me this raw human being that I can be sometimes. No, these hardships that I've been through in these last couple of years, these are things that raise the temperature of life to reveal. They didn't make me, they reveal where my discipleship to Jesus, for me, needs to double back and listen again and deepen my learning from him. The Holy Spirit reminded me that I need to go back to school with Jesus as much, if not more, than the Jesus t-shirt people shouting at me that I was an abomination that even more than them probably, I need to go back and learn from Jesus so that he could produce in me a faith that abides deeply when I confront a new fear, that he can produce a greater love in me when I just want to judge people, that he can produce a deepening serenity in me when circumstances just make me feel that dread welling up in my throat again. So, Yes, I come back admitting to you there is more formation to be done in my life. And I know I'm not alone. I'm not alone. There is more formation to be done in everybody in this section's life. (laughs) And there's more formation to be done in everyone who has the guts to sit here in the center life. And there's more formation to be done over in everyone's life sitting in this section. There's more formation to be done everyone who's viewing at home, which, by the way, online viewing is back up and running. So if you're listening at all, or you're listening to the podcast, there's more formation to be done. And boy, is there formation to be done in the church, particularly in this globe, in the Western world. We all really need to double back and listen again and deepen our learning from Jesus. Let's just consider these. These are some of the wider facts. Christianity Today, which is a publication that comes out, a lot of people in ministry leadership read it. They cited a recent Barna research study. And Barna is, they're used for research for top Fortune 400 companies. And here's what Barna states, and we'll put it up on the screen. The percentage of Americans who qualify as practicing Christians, meaning they identify as a Christian, they prioritize their faith, and they've attended church within the past month 
By the way, that's a really low bar statistically. So I'm just saying, just those three to, but that's what they're using for their statistics. That has dropped from 50% in 2008 to 25% in 2020. In the space of 12 years, a 25% drop. And I, I see it, and I know it, and I talk to other pastors, and this is exactly what they're experiencing all throughout the South Bay, Santa Cruz County, the Bay Area. And here are a few, I think, these are just personal observations. I didn't pick these up from any, anywhere else, but these are personal observations, I think, why the state of affairs might be, this 25% drop. The first one is this, it's the pursuit of comfort. In some of the reading that I did, that I got to kind of get caught up on, I, I stumbled upon a guy. He's an author, naturalist, scientist, ecologist. I don't think he's a Christian by any means. His name is Aldo Leopold. But here's a quote from him. He said this, The modern dogma is comfort at any cost. The modern dogma, dogma meaning the central sort of sacred pursuit of our culture and our environment in the West is comfort at any cost. It's going to cost us and the environment and the world and people around us and society and whatever it is, comfort. So when we live in a culture of comfort at any cost, the instant we realize that we've kind of been following Jesus a little bit here and there, you know, we fit that priority of I identify as a Christian and I go to church sort of once a month thing that Barna Research was saying, the instant we realize that Jesus intends to refine us in the same way that Scripture says in Hebrews 5, verses 8 through 9, and I'm quoting it, Jesus, quote, learned obedience through suffering and was made perfect, unquote, that if Jesus is going to render that same thing in my life, ah, I'm off the track. Pursuit of comfort gets in the way, 25% drop. A second observation I would make is captivation by fear. It doesn't matter if you're a more progressive Christian and we're a church here who says, yes, you can be more progressive down the left side of the political skew and you can love Jesus dearly. We actually believe that at that ch this church. But it doesn't matter if you're more progressive a Christian and you're listening and feeling the fears that progressives are screaming about and they have their particular fears or you're more of a conservative Christian. We believe at this church you could be a very conservative Christian and dearly love Jesus and you're listening to the fears that your political tribe is screaming about. Fear has increasingly become the main motivating factor. It informs a lot of our imaginations. It's informing our eschatology, which is a big word, but I, 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 you are smart people. I can use big words with you. Eschatology is like, how do you see the future of your children? How do you see the future of your marriage? How do you see the future of this nation? How do you see the future of the globe? How do you see the future of where God's taking human history? It, this fear informs your eschatology, and it informs our actions. So captivation by fear. Here's a third observation, and that is this. Being tuned in to talking heads rather than the head. I'm going to just say it right now, and I'm part of this whole thing I'm going to just say. All of us, right here, right now, you don't even have to do a personal self-assessment. I, I guarantee 100% of us right here, we spend way more time listening to and learning from talking heads on our podcasts, our cable news talk chatter shows, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, 
far more, far and away more than we're spending our time in any exposures to Jesus, to having the Bible read to us by our phone, or we're actually reading it. We're spending some time in meditation. We're having a conversation with dear Jesus in prayer. We are way more tuned into talking heads than the head. Philosopher, believer, dear believer, professor of philosophy at UCS, US, not UCSC, USC, and a writer, Dallas Willard, made this observation, which I want to put up on the screen. He said, the greatest issue facing, and he wrote this just before he died, the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, <laughs> students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heavens into every corner of human existence. I hope in reading that your heart kind of starts to sing a little bit like, I want to, I want to lean into that, I hope. So we're going to go back to Jesus' invitation in this current study in the fall. But I will tell you, it's literally over the next nine months. Over the next nine months, this whole church is doubling back, and we're going to listen again to Jesus. Number one, because I know I need to. And number two, because the Spirit's made it very clear, this church needs to. And the church, not all the churches, need to listen again to Jesus. So we're going to come back to this invitation, come follow me. We're going to get real about deepening our apprenticeship to Jesus. And what we're going to do is this. It's going to be different. We're going to look at the book of Matthew, but we're not going to go verse by verse through Matthew. We're actually going to get very specific, and not all of them, but most of them, these very intimate conversations that Jesus had just with some of or all of Jesus the 12 disciples, that in those intimate conversations, as we track through it, we start to see a, a clear picture or maybe a deepening picture of well, what does it mean to truly be a student, an apprentice, a follower, a disciple of Jesus? And we're starting with the first intimate conversation this morning. So make sure you're looking at Matthew 4.18, which we've just read from. And our passage today, it brings us back to this really fresh invitation from Jesus, this whole series. Come, follow me. Matthew 4 tells us that Jesus was strolling along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of more of a large lake, but they called it the Sea of Galilee. And as he got there... He saw Peter and Andrew, which everyone knows Andrew was the best disciple of all. Um, it's just because my name is his. That's why I'm a fan. And he saw these two brothers, and they're casting nets into the lake to catch fish. And Jesus calls out to them, and he says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once, shockingly, at once they stopped fishing threw it all down and started following him. And then Matthew 4 goes on to say that further along the shore of Galilee, then Jesus stumbles upon James and John, and they're, they're mending fishing nets inside of the boat with their father, the patriarch, and the owner of the Sons of Zebedee Fishing Company, Zebedee. They're mending fish nets. And Jesus also calls out to them and says, come and follow me, he just says in the passage, he, he just calls them. <laughs> And again, surprisingly, immediately, they left their work, they left their boat, they left their dad, and they start following him. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I have a question for this story. What is happening here? 
This immediate like leaving and following thing. People don't just drop everything and follow someone who just sort of seemingly randomly comes up to him and says, come follow me. And then they just drop everything and they just start following him. I mean, let's just be honest when you kind of like read the scriptures. It's like, doesn't it kind of come off a little mythological here? Kind of like people aren't acting like real people, three-dimensional human beings. It, it, can, it can read like that. At least I'll be honest with you when I just read it for reading it. But there's actually an answer that is helpful. If we're able to piece together how Peter, Andrew, James, and John experienced Jesus as they had these experiences in their probable order, then a picture emerges that starts to be helpful. Doing some more of my reading and research this week, I stumbled upon the fact that in John chapter 1, you got to start kind of piecing together Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them. And in the book of John chapter 1, it tells us that Peter and Andrew had already had an encounter with Jesus. If you read John 1 verses 35 through 51, you could check it out this afternoon. You, you find this scene where Andrew, and this is what I love about Andrew, and I hope my name fits up to him. You see in the gospel, he's always, always, always expectant and looking and looking on the horizon for what's God going to do? Who's the one? Who is he sending his, the promised one? I, I want to be a part of it. And so with that involved, he saw John the Baptist and he becomes a disciple of John the Baptist. And so his disciples do. Generally, you hang out with the person you're following, and he's hanging out with John the Baptist, and then suddenly Jesus walks by, John the Baptist's cousin, and John the Baptist yells out, hey, he's the dude. Now, that's my Santa Cruz translation of, behold, the Lamb of God. But he says, that's the dude, that's the Messiah. And Andrew goes, who, he's the what, what? And he starts following him, and he spends time with him, and he, and he himself concludes, he is the dude, he's the Messiah. He's the son of God. And he believed it so much, he grabbed his brother Peter and he says, you've got to meet this guy. That was their first encounter. Now, if you piece this together, looking at what I read from scholarship, there's likely was a period of time after this encounter where they had this profound encounter with Jesus. Like people can in, in, in this life. They can have a profound encounter with Jesus. And then they went back to Galilee and they went back to their fishing business to, to fish. And then scholars think... That the night before this call to come follow me in Matthew chapter 4, that Jesus performed a miracle that's described in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. You can read it later this afternoon. Where in this scene, now it's all four fishermen. They're all pros at what they do fishing. But Jesus catches them in the morning after a night of catching no fish. So literally they failed in their profession. And Jesus directs these fishermen to this haul of fish that was so massive that for whatever it was in Peter's mind as a professional fisherman, it shattered him inside. And he, and he blurts out in Luke chapter 5, he says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Probably that happened the night before. So when we piece their interactions with Jesus in the order of how they probably happened, here's what we see. And this happens for most human beings. We see men making slow, and for most of us men it is even more slow, advancing but slow, growing understanding about the gravity of Jesus. And then the moment came 
When Jesus said to these men who are making slow but growing understanding about the gravity of Jesus, a time came when Jesus says, you now know enough. You don't know it all, but you know enough to understand my invitation. You don't, and I'm not asking you to know it all. You now know enough. So I'm asking you to re-engineer your whole life as you've once known it, known it to become an authentic apprentice to me. The time came. There comes a time for hearing and agreeing with Jesus. As so many people do in their first encounter with Jesus. Summer camp, a, a, a moving church encounter. You heard some televangelist on TV, maybe. Some podcast where you hear and you agree. But there also comes a time when hearing and agreeing leads Jesus to the moment where in his life, to his people, he says, now let's start the actual following. Let's follow. Accepting the costs of reducing or even leaving your profession, like these fishermen did. Accepting the cost of reducing or even leaving some or a lot of your family responsibilities of all things. And re-engineering life around the centrality of being a trainee, an apprentice of Jesus. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, I'm going to call them the Fab Four, because they kind of were the Fab Four of the 12 disciples. They started the actual following part of discipleship. And the rest of this passage we read in Matthew shows us that then it says, then they had this constant daily firsthand experience of the beauty of the kingdom of the heavens bursting into the brokenness of the world. As Jesus starts to do these two interconnected things, and they're just hanging out watching the whole thing happen. The first thing it tells us in verse 23 is that Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom. Going all the way back to the book of Genesis and trailing all the way through the original Testament or the Old Testament and all through the history of Israel, God had been throughout the whole thing promised that he was going to break into the world with the one, the Messiah, or as I kiddingly said, the dude, the one who was going to come to the world to save the world through his reign. And the Fab Four saw and heard Jesus declare himself, I'm the fulfillment of that promise. I'm here. And the interconnected with the words about the kingdom, verses 24 and 25 says that these men also saw Jesus do the victorious work, the words and the work of that dawning kingdom. Those who had severe pain, harassed by demons, Dealing with seizures, paralysis, they found health under the authority of Jesus. And these disciples got to experience Jesus showcasing himself as the fulfillment of everything that God had promised to do. So here is Jesus' call to us coming through scripture this morning. And the call is this. Re-engineer your life around following me. And he's pretty serious about it. Today, through the living word of God, Jesus is calling you and me, come, follow me. Come, follow me. Re-engineer your whole life around the centrality of me. Because if I'm not central, you're, the, 
how much are you really surrendering yourself to an apprenticeship? There's a time for hearing and agreeing with Jesus. And that season of time was fairly short in the Gospels for the Fab Four. But that period of time, that can be years for some people. Just thinking that discipleship is hearing and agreeing or really agreeing when you happen to agree with Jesus, that could take years. And it saddens me to say that just the odds are, are there that I'm probably talking to people right here today or watching online or listening in the podcast. That's where you're at. You're still in the hearing and agreeing when you happen to agree mode of being a Jesus person. That, that saddens me to say that, but it at the same time gladdens me to say that the patient, gracious Jesus He sees you, he loves you, and he sees that the time of just hearing and agreeing, it's over. It's it's time for that to end. And he's inviting you to the actual following thing. Realizing that actually following him is going to take continual re-engineering in every season of your life. It's not a set it and forget it thing. Like we were just talking about giving. It's easy to do if you give it all. Set it, forget it, I don't want to think about it anymore. But, but that's not what I, I following anybody is about. It's constantly re-engineering and reassessing with him so that he is central in every season of your life, no matter how old you get, every season of your life, to how you think, how you feel, how you love, how you're scheduling your calendar, and how you behave. And realizing that actually following Jesus will at least, at the very least, requiring some reduction of other commitments in your profession, certainly in our culture, in your consumption, which is a waste of time and energy, but our culture tells us that's what we're supposed to do. And it will sometimes require a reduction in our commitments. Yes, Even a family. Yes, don't mishear me. I'm not saying to the point that your family becomes dysfunctional and unhealthy. But he might ask you to make some changes. And then realizing sometimes, this has been true in my life, Jesus has redirected me to move from where I am. Following Jesus will require us to leave things and say a hard no to things in our lives. This is an invitation. It's a call. It's constantly deepening for the rest of our lives. So, Let's just talk a little bit about the pursuit of comfort. Is there a little bit of abiding by the modern dogma of comfort at any cost? Has hardship and difficulty and the brokenness of God's people in the church made you in any way go, I, I just want to pull back from him and church and Bible and all that kind of stuff. I, ah, it's just made, I'm more comfortable not dealing Let's talk about captivation by fear. Do you got to admit, fear is so much inside of you in so many ways. Becoming increasingly motivated by fear, it informs your imagination, it informs your eschatology, how you see the future for your kids and your grandkids and the church and, and the nation and the world. Let's talk about being tuned into the talking heads rather than the head. Are you spending way more time And the Holy Spirit's going, poke, 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 he's talking to you. Way more time 
listening to the podcasts and the TikToks and the Facebook and the Instagrams and the, and the talking heads chattering on Fox and CNN and all these other cable, and, then they, and they know everything, rather than listening to the head. Is there anything else? The Spirit of Jesus Christ, which is also the Holy Spirit, is bringing to your attention something that is hindering your actual followership, apprenticeship to Jesus Christ, the beautiful one. Here's the thing. During my break, I, like I said, I was able to catch up a little bit on a lot of reading that I wanted to get caught up on. And, I, and in my reading, I stumbled upon this question that really caught me. <laughs> I'm still processing it. And the question is this. Is Jesus useful to you? Or beautiful to you? Is he useful to you or beautiful to you? What exactly is that question getting at? Well, allow me to try to illustrate what I think it means from my visit to Uncle Walt's Magic Kingdom. Beautiful or useful? Walt Disney's imaginative company is basically, I would say, useful to me personally. I grew up watching uh, in the 70s the show The Wonderful World of Disney, 7 o'clock every Sunday night after, what was it, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, where Marlon Perkins would send a young man into the bush to get eaten by lions. Um, And I remember watching that and remembering how useful The Wonderful World of Disney was to me because it was like one of the very, very rare and few television programming for young kids like me. There wasn't a lot of television programming for kids, which is impossible to think about now because there's programming like 50 channels for kids. But in those days, that was it. And I have to say that I watch a few Disney movies and sometimes they're good, sometimes they move me, and sometimes eh. But I watch them because it's useful, entertainment, to kind of like watch with the family. Um, When I go to Disneyland... And for some of you, this will offend you. I'm going to say this, but I've only gone five times in my life. Don't hold that against me. That's, all, that's as many times as I've gone. I get good use out of the place where I can stand in line for a steep price. That's why they call it Disney line, right? So I, I enjoy it. It's fun and I get good use out of it. It's useful for some people like me, but there are these people And they're fun to watch. They are captivated by the beauty of Uncle Walt's imaginative company. Their their first experience of Disney, when you talk to them, was way beyond magical. More than even my sort of kind of magical, useful experience of it uh, when I watched The Wonderful World as Disney as a kid. Um, they're, They're enchanted by the movies. They're enchanted by Walt's parks. And you know what? They don't have to work at being tuned in to all things Disney. Simply because they're enchanted by the beauty of all things Disney, their lives are quite easily re-engineered around varying degrees of their enchantment to the magic kingdom. I can describe it to you. Like, more than being useful once in a while, Disney movies and Disney Plus content are like must-see rhythms of their lives that they enjoy and they have family times together and they discuss the movies. That Disney parks are must-visit experiences every year 
or twice a year, or three times a year, four times a year, or season pass. And then, and they're in the park, they, they eat every mouse here, ear-shaped food that's available, and they, and they wear every mouse ear-shaped Disney swag that's available. In fact, some of them will invest for their entire family, parents, grandparents, grandkids. They're wearing the same Disney swag in the park, in the line, all of them together, zippity-doo-dah. You know where I'm going. And there's some people, they become this thing called a D23 member. It's, a, it's this thing that shapes the rhythm of their lives where they come and they, they have this conference and they get to hear all the great, exciting things that Disney's going to do. Now, here's where I'm going with that. Disney's useful to me. I use what I want from it, from what Disney offers, when I feel like I'm interested. Jesus can be simply useful. Where we use what he offers when we feel like we're interested. That describes a lot of American Christians. Maybe you. But Disney is beautiful to many who in varying degrees of their lives, they rearrange the rhythm of their lives around the enchantment. Just like Jesus can become beautiful to people who in the varying degrees of their lives, they rearrange the rhythms of their lives around their enchantment to Jesus Christ. Jesus is calling us, saying, re-engineer your life around following me. So the encouragement today is to revisit the beauty of Jesus Christ and then rearrange some things. This is the conversation that we're entering into. And I know that in every home, this needs to be done, including my home. After all we've been through in these last years, our challenges did not make us more fearful. It did not make us more raw as human beings. They revealed the places in our lives where we are more fearful and we are more raw and we need to double back and we need to hear Jesus again say, come follow me to revisit the beauty of Jesus. To understand that, of course, Jesus can be so useful when we're interested in whatever it is that he's going to offer. But to look again at what, what once enchanted you about Jesus when you first met him. And to look into his face, not looking at his hands, what he can do for you. Look at his face and say, what does you love about Jesus now, today, in this season of your life? And then out of that fresh experience of enchantment, rearrange some things in your life. I know that idea that's like rearranging some things, it makes you twizzle inside, like, eh. like Andy's telling me, leave it all behind. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that as you behold Jesus' beauty, rearrange the fishing nets in your life. That the Holy Spirit comes along and suggests to you, you need to leave for the beauty of the better. The better. And most often, it's going to involve a reduction of less important, less helpful things in our lives. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. There are going to come times in your life where Jesus says, I want you to say no in order to say Yes. I want you to leave in order to go. I want you to drop that in order to be sent. Sometimes that may happen. And how does the beauty of the goodness of Jesus enchant you to seek more time with him? Because you're convicted. I am listening to talking heads more than you, the head. 
How does the enchantment of Jesus help you think about how you're going to rearrange how the handling of your money and risk getting things in order and getting out of debt and prayerfully thinking about what this church is entering into a conversation about, how is our giving a reflection of our actual faith in Jesus Christ? And I'm not saying you have to give it all to FCC. Give it If you think we're being all suspicious and like, ah, they're trying to get it in my pocketbook or whatever, well, then give it to a missionary. But follow Jesus as he says, I want to talk to you about your money. Rearrange your reluctance. Look, one of the things that I realize as a pastor is the entire church world is still living in their PJs unshaven. All of us. That's where we're at emotionally. So like adding anything, don't ask me to this, don't ask because I'm still in my PJs unshaven in my heart. So maybe Jesus is going to say, you need to rearrange some reluctance to add anything post-pandemic and risk serving where there's an opportunity to extend the beauty of Jesus Christ to someone else who needs that beauty. And the opportunities abound, folks. I'm not going to lie. We have needs in technology. We have needs. We We need some more elders. We need new ministry directors. We need people to minister to kids. We need minister to youth and kids club at De La Vega. The opportunities abound if the Holy Spirit points you here. But again, if you're going to say, Andy, you're just trying to get a bunch of people to serve at Faith Community Church. Okay, fine. If the Holy Spirit says you don't need to serve at the church, well, where is he pointing you? Don't say, I'm still in my PJs, Holy Spirit. And rearrange your presence with Jesus' people, maybe, in a more communal and hospitable way to get to know the people of God that you're worshiping with. I want to invite the band up, and um, as they get set to lead us in musical worship, I just want to say, look, doubling back and listening to Jesus' invitation to come and follow me, I want to be clear what this is. This is not about giving up the joy of the adventure of life. That's not what this is about. It is not about some chance to just take a few more bits of helpful advice from Jesus, although Jesus does give good advice if you actually study him. This is the chance to learn how to live. And if you're here or you're listening online or you're listening on the podcast and you've never even come to say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to enter into this salvation, this is the opportunity to live. And it's also the opportunity for those of us who are, have been following, we've been kind of in the hearing and agreeing mode for way too many years, to like live as Jesus would have us live. Listen again to what Dallas Willard said in the quote I read at the beginning. He says this, this is the chance to steadily learn from Jesus how to live the fullness of the life of the kingdom of heavens into every corner of human existence. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I love thee. I think of that song, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. God, I... I need to double back. I know your spirit has asked me and the preaching team and has inspired the elders to try to speak to this too. You want your people to double back and listen and see, we missed something. Oh, we need to add something. We need to deepen here. We need to grow here. We need to mature there. God, would you do the work that you want to do as you pull us into yourself. I can't make anybody be an apprentice of Jesus. All I can do is point to the the scriptures and say and, and indicate what the scriptures say. And I pray out of this little bit that I can offer that your spirit will move 
and power in this church. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, the amazing one. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.